Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 92. It is the third week of January 2022. And I hope everyone is sticking to their New Year's resolutions so far. Here's my encouragement, folks. Stay with it. Do not get fat. Get in shape. Race season is around the corner, and we have to be prepared. Um, Let's see. A couple of uh, updates for this week. As you know, if you listened to last week's episode, producer Chris changed it up on us a little bit. And thankfully, he received minimal hate mail. So that's good. I have made the appropriate arrangements to put him in witness protection, but so far, the FBI says there have been no credible threats. So nicely done, Fast Brackets Nation. Keep up the good work and behave yourselves. Uh, We want to, to keep Chris safe, even if he did mix things up on us a little bit. Also, I decided to fire the marketing department. Turns out, The Fast Brackets podcast, eh, it's all right, isn't the best slogan for the show. So we'll keep working on that. If you have a reasonable slogan that you think I should consider and put out publicly, please send them to me. Uh, Who knows? I just might use it. Um, But guys, girls, I am excited today because we have two great guests on and both of these guys went into um, really detailed conversations, and they were really fantastic, I think. So first of all, Don O'Neill, he's a top sportsman standout, and he's an expert in the field of marketing. He came on, and uh, we had a great conversation there. And then Michael Beard, who was a wildly accomplished bracket racer and promoter, discusses kind of the, the future and young guns in our sport Really excited to let you hear both of those conversations. So get to doing whatever it is you do while you listen to the show. 
make your commute, clean the shop, work on the old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. Guys, girls, today I don't have anything to be upset about. I don't have anything that would put me, um, you know, make me hot, give me a little chip, uh, put me on the chip, get me a little fired up. There is nothing about that that I have to talk about today. And you know what? I don't like it either. I don't like it, but that's just the way it is today. And we have great guests. So let's go ahead and get right to it. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by AFCO Racing Products. On with us now is a multi-time divisional champ. He is from God's country. And more importantly, he's been on the show before. So if you have not listened to episode number 16 or episode number 42, go do that now so you can get all caught up on all the greatness that is Mr. Don O'Neill. Don, what is happening today? Well, Happy New Year to you, Rex. Out here grinding away like I'm sure everybody else is that's listening to the podcast. Right. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It is a it is a good new year, I think. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's uh, an over statement to say that you had a tough beginning of 2021, uh, got a little bit better at the end of the year. Is 2022 going to be a great year for you? I man, I hope so. Like they say, every uh, every setback has got to be a setup for an exciting something another positive to happen to you and uh that's what the way i'm looking at 2022 as we move forward here is the days start getting marked off the calendar to kicking off uh the midwest season if you will for uh our organization for streetway but yeah absolutely hoping that uh, we can uh, capitalize on the way uh, jb and myself finished up in 21 and Look forward to uh, pushing forward through 22 and seeing uh, how things shake out when uh, the year-end points are all tallied up and we're not all sitting on zero like we are right now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It uh, that's the beauty of it is that we all kind of reset at the end of the year and everybody uh, starts anew at even, which is zero at the beginning of the year, and then we get to go chase it all again. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's the beauty of it, uh, with the snow comes and kind of, kind of washes all the, the old points away, right? Yeah, we all are actually tied for first place right now for at least another, I think, uh, 12 days until, uh, <laughs> D2, D2 kicks off down in Valdosta and uh, we'll get cracking away and the guys down south will get a little head start on us and we'll all try to even out as we close in on Pomona and Vegas in November. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, especially, you know, as I sit here in Indianapolis and I know you're on the road, you're in, where are you at? West Virginia right now? Is that where you're at? Yeah, I'm cruising across West Virginia about two and a half hours away from uh, 
seeing a fellow LS guy, J.C. Beatty, and his team at ATI today. And so, uh, yeah, just cruising right along in the uh, snow-covered, I guess you have to call this the middle northeast, if you will, uh, coming across West Virginia into Virginia and Maryland. Yeah, it's a, for us, it's a little rougher. It's hard to see that uh, the racing season starts in, what, two weeks or so. But uh, for the rest of the world, especially in the southern part, um, happy happy for all those guys and girls to get to go after it. Uh, but speaking of you know your, your trip today, the last time you came on, episode 42, you were talking about your program, which – is is decidedly different right and i think it different in the coolest way possible which is ls uh ls set up with a magnuson blower um you shook that down obviously got a huge win towards the end of the season um last year but talk us through that process a little bit and about what is next for that whole platform because i know that is just the tip of the iceberg for that platform well, it's actually kind of interesting to, to look back. I guess we'll go back now as we start 22. We're going to be looking at four years. Uh, to, to take a moment and pause and think about the fact that we that we started with something that had never been done before in a tube chassis car, basically taking something out of a factory stock showdown platform and putting it in a, a Haas Camaro and, and then fast forward to the end of 21 and, and getting a a top 10 finish in, in the division, in Division 3, and, and picking up a divisional win with the with the combination to being involved with some of the processes that go along with the Factory X, if you will, that NHRA is getting ready to launch, which is basically our combination and a little bit longer wheelbase with some steel, with some steel body panels and a five-speed, and now, you know, we're we're kind of sitting back as we look forward to see where it's going to go and how it's going to move and blower development and, and other R&D and product development that we've been doing with other companies. Obviously, our major sponsor, Lightens, being involved with the Tensioner program for, for Barton and his customer base up there in the factory stock world and, and a huge part of our success this, you know, in 21, fixing our... Uh, lack of belt control if you will and being able to to get down the racetrack on a consistent basis it's just been a you know it's been a a struggle at times but then you have those moments where things just go your way and they're rewarding and you sit back and and go yep the the little engine that could went ahead and took care of all the the big inch nitrous motors or pro chargers or Vortex superchargers or the big brute style blowers that are still out there, and we're just kind of cracking away at being the underdog. And don't don't mind don't mind the the title of it, but you know we are unique and different in that manner, and, and feel like the LS platform is is moving forward. There's a lot of other companies that are out there, Vortex being one of them. They at PRI this year, you know, they put a big push into their LS blower combination. In, in their side and so uh, yeah I think it's something that's going to continue to grow uh, especially with the EV world being what it is that there's going to be a lot of LS engines that are going to be laying around junkyards and going to go through a lot of different conversion modes and you're going to see them pop up in more and more places and so uh, yeah we're, 
glad to be part of it and been the one to jump off the deep, deep into the pool with no water, if you will. Right. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you get a lot of credit for um, doing the development up front, but I know it wasn't easy, right? Uh, there's You get all the headaches that come with that as well. And, and that isn't uh, something that the everyday person sees. They just see, oh, well, Don won a divisional towards the end of the year. That must have been, uh, you know, must have been uh, right on plan, right? Just how you, <laughs> you do it. And obviously that's not the case. Um, that uh, that you've, you've worked through it. You've got it right. Um, do, you, do you see any uh, big changes for you and, and your platform over the winter? Uh, no, not really. We're we're working on a, a, a new engine combination that, that and Jay and, and guys over at Oakley Engine Performance, along with uh, a collaboration with, with Energy and Cali's up in Ohio that they're involved with. And you know, those guys have got some ideas now that we've had a couple years with the with the 427 program. They've got some ideas on what on some things that they actually have learned through the Vortex side and, and through our program, you know, utilizing the Magnuson supercharger. And Philip and Jay feel like they've got something, and we got Cali's on board with that, the energy. And so those guys are energized and excited to be part of it. And so at some point uh, later on this year, we'll probably roll out a new piece that we're going to – kick the season off with our uh, tried and true 427 that we know goes somewhere between low 70s and, and mid 80s depending upon weather and we're just going to kind of cruise right on into uh, the season start and see how we shake out as you know we've got an outside chance that the Jags all stars for division three we're all kind of just stacked on top of each other within a few points Sure. You know, most of us are within half a round of each other. And so, uh, you know, that's a that's a big deal to, to have that on your resume, that you were a Jags All-Star, not not to mention to actually be able to pull off winning the Jags All-Star at Indy at the U.S. Nationals. I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing uh, to put on your resume. So, you know, we're going to focus on that to start the year, not try to change too much and uh, come out swinging with a tried and tested product. And then we'll uh, kick into it and see if we can't go a little quicker and show off uh, the uh, horsepower out of the boys in Owensboro with Philip and Jay at Oakley and, and Cowley's in the crew. So just have to see how things go. I like it. That sounds like a very solid plan to me. Uh, you've got a you've got a reliable program. Go go get that, um, man. And to your point about the Jags All Star, it it obviously is a uh, huge accomplishment for anybody who gets that done. And so we're all we're all rooting for you. I mean, you've got uh, you got a bunch of people rooting for you uh, to go get it. Outside of um, you know the other guys in D three, I suppose. But even those guys, I know it's such a tight knit family that uh, whoever makes it there, get get all hands on deck after the fact. Oh yeah, if you're if you're in the D three family and you make it, you're the class representative, whether it's top dragster, stock or super gas or super street, it doesn't matter. You know, we're all D3 at that point. We're all pulling for one another. We all want to pitch in, help however we can, empty out the trailers, you know, give the moral support and be there for them and, and see how things shake out. It's a great thing. And, again, it's, it's, 
it's a feather that you put in your hat and put on your resume. That, you know, that, I mean, you beat all your peers. You beat the best peers that year at, in the Jake's All-Star competition, and, and that's a huge deal to, uh, to put that on your wall, put it on your mantle, put it on your resume. Never take it away from you. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and I, what I love about that event, too, is uh, that you actually race against the the guy you know you get a win light against um your the competitor to win it you know like there is this thing where potentially uh certainly in divisional not as much but on the national sale you could actually beat somebody you could win uh the number two competitor you could never actually line up against them right and with the jegs you line up against them and you got to beat them in that uh you know at that time um with that that track right there all the same environment and go do it so it to me that adds a little something to it it's, it's extra special in my opinion well it is i mean when you look at how the points battles shake out for national side you know we all have you know whether it's three or five five or eight six or ten however the class point structure falls out you're you're truly competing against for the most part your own backyard, right? You're competing against the same guys on, you know, uh, right. an event basis, whether it's the divisional or national side. Some of the nationals, you'll you'll get to square off with some other people from other divisions. But when it comes to the Jags All-Star, you're racing against the eight best of that class at that time. And, and that's hands down. And that's the D5 guy, the D1 guy, the D7 guy. You all converge, and you get to take a swing at each other of, of saying, I had the opportunity, and I beat the best of the best in my class on that given day. And that just says something. You're not, you know, nobody backed into the wind. And uh, so I think, it, I think it says a lot. And, and those guys that are out there that have multiple Jake's all-star wins, I mean, again, that's uh, – that's a huge thing when it when it comes down on your resume that they can never take away from. Yeah, I, th- I think that it, I'm with you 100 percent on there. And you mentioned streetway marketing earlier and how much effort you put into that, making that work. And one of the things I needed to bring up with you is you got into a little hot water towards the end of the year, and I think it was very unfounded uh, because you mentioned that the the word sportsman um, was taken in a derogatory way. Do you want to rehash how that came about? Because I think that's interesting how it came about, how you even uh, were turned on to the fact that uh, someone wouldn't take the word sportsman in a a positive way. Because I've always used it as a term of endearment, but certainly people out there don't. You mind uh, walking us through that a little bit? It really came down to a business deal. It, it had no, it had no impact on. It wasn't, or I shouldn't say this. It was not an attack at racers. It was, it was a movement towards the fact of understanding how the boardroom, the tall buildings, the glass offices, right. how they pick art wording in a deck, in a proposal, in a conversation. And 
it's no different than a lawyer going through a contract or a real estate agent, whatever the case is, it's based on verbiage. And verbiage has value to it. It has meaning. Mm-hmm. And a certain company that non-automotive, non-motorsports related, didn't find the term sportsman valuable in their assessment. And the conversation came up, and it's valid. When you go back and you look through the camping world, you know, when I go back to the camping world truck series, or I go back to the Xfinity series, or even the Arkham Menard series, there's certain motorsports organizations out there that have verbiage in their media decks and in their PR decks that the wording that they use has value to it. It has a meaning. It has a respect factor that individuals in boardrooms that have no idea about motorsports or what it is we may do, they respect that and then they put it on a level for their evaluation when it comes for investment and strategies and marketing and sponsorship programs. Mm-hmm. And there was some of the verbiage that was taken and kind of run with, not really what I wanted it to be because it's not an attack at the Friday night or Saturday night guy or the guy in Super Street or anybody else for that matter. It had to do with the fact that we compete in the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, and I I got beat up in a boardroom about the word sportsman, and there was nowhere for me to take it. It's in the Racing Association's deck right. for media, and all I can do is put a spin on it to try to create the value. And... It was a conversation they needed to be brought up. It had happened behind other doors with other individuals. And there are a lot of racers that understand and deal with the same things that we deal with at Streetway when we're having our partnerships or we're courting or trying to get new relationships. And they reached out. They appreciated it. They understood it. They valued it because they battle it themselves, but there were other people that they they took the, the word, the respect factor and sportsmen and took it in the wrong direction. And it was not an attack at any racer using or thinking that the word sportsman was derogatory. It's the way sportsman is valued in a boardroom when you're trying create partnerships, relationships to keep an organization going and it needed to be brought up and it was taken. I, I took a lot of flack for it. My whole deal is if I'm out here trying to further the sport because it needs to move forward, yes. we need to create the value because if we don't, we don't have a company, I don't have a job, we don't have motorsports companies creating products, selling products, and being willing to invest in our sport that we're all passionate about. And, you know, there there were people that reached out to me and wanted to have conversations, and we all ended in a manner of which they understood where I was going and how it was kind of twisted a little bit. And, I mean, do we need to have that? Well, yeah, we have to have conversations that are uncomfortable, and maybe they are changing to the sport, right? It's 
you can't, it's not the way we've always done it. That's, that just doesn't work anymore. And when you have companies that have large checkbooks and those executives give you feedback, you cannot just discount their feedback. You have right. to look at it, take it in, and work off of it. And that goes with any customer base, any company. And it's a title, and it's one that was questioned, and when it came down to it, they passed because they couldn't find the value in the word and thought that other organizations had used better, and they went with other race race properties. And, I, I mean, I, all I can do is take what they gave me, figure out a way to improve on it, and overcome the challenge and try to make it an opportunity moving forward. It was uh, it was it was taken. I mean, I'm not a, not going to be the guy with the megaphone and stand out there and go, you know, prove me wrong, you know. But that's fine. I, I, it's not that big a deal to me for for me to not be able to have the conversation and share with people that truly want to try to move forward. And that's, I mean, that's what it is. It wasn't a Me Too movement or, oh, you know, we're entitled or any of this other verbiage that got thrown around on the on the worldwide of keyboards. But at the same time, right. the, the business people, the organizations that run their teams as such, I, I appreciated those people reaching out and trying to move forward and, and have constructive conversations of how we can work together to try to change the stereotype, if you will, when it comes to those last meeting rooms where we need them to nod their heads for us and help us. Yeah, I, I think all of that is dead on with a zero. And what I know about you, Don, is that you really want the sports to succeed and you want it to continue and grow. So when you say that stuff, I mean, you, I, I don't think you were trying to start an argument. I think what you were doing, it was just like what you said uh, all companies need to do, and you're absolutely right about this, is say, hey, this is what the feedback is. How do we address it? And, and when you said that, it resonated with me. Um, it certainly didn't resonate with some people, and that's okay. And like you said, the Internet uh, allows you to – do some things you might not do in person uh, sometimes. And I thought, you know, you you brunted the the load of that, I would say, for just being, uh, you know, being the truth sayer. And, uh, and, and as you and I both know, the truth is never told, Don. It is always learned. And so we can, we can tell people the truth, but uh, ultimately it has to be learned. And uh, I just know that where your heart was at with all that stuff. And I appreciate it. My question, I think to you on this subject is given the fact that we have a class called top sportsman, um, how do we, how do we get over that hump? Well, I, you know, it's the, it's the, and that question was brought up and, and so forth. And the, the, the picture of that is, is that it's still how it is, perceived and what the perception that you're giving, that you're allowed to give is awesome. If you're a Lucas Oil drag racing 
Series driver and you compete in top alcohol dragster, well, you're a driver in top alcohol dragster. You're a driver in top dragster. But you're a Lucas Oil Racing Series driver. No different than how, you know, if you really want to think about it, if if people watch Flow Racing or listen to some or read some of the media releases that came out of the Chili Bowl, it was... It was a NASCAR driver, even though he may have been out of the Camping World Truck Series, he was a NASCAR driver racing and competing in the Chili Bowl. Well, you're a Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series driver, and you're competing in top dragster. It's how it's it's perceived and presented. When everything is redundant with the word sportsman in there, those people that... Their jobs, they're not aware of that. They're, they're, they're looking for verbiage that they run through databases to figure out what valuations are and find targets. And, you know, sometimes you got to remove a word if it allows you to generate some more interest, to get past that next level, and be able to have a conversation about the business relationship that you can provide. And, you know, it's bad when a word can keep you from being able to move to the next next level or, or next meeting or just getting ink on a check, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I was so caught off guard with that whole conversation, Don, because I have never in my life perceived the word sportsman in a negatory uh, light, right? And so when I heard that, I was, I was taken back. And then I, you know, dug in a little bit, and it made a perfect sense on uh, where you were coming from, and just providing the feedback from that company. And I thought, you know, hey, it's something to address. I don't know, I don't know exactly what the answer is. Uh, you know, maybe as simple as just naming it the Lucas Oil Racing Series, but but certainly your point is accurate. And anything we can do, I mean, I I think we. A lot of times think about big, big things we can do to move the needle, but sometimes it's a lot of little things to move the needle. And, you know, that to me seems pretty harmless, pretty, pretty inexpensive to make that change and, and to be some positive outlook on that. Um, you know, I, so I appreciate you coming on. I, you probably had a fill of talking about this, but uh, I thought it was just a point that was worth talking about over the winter for sure. The other thing is, I mean, talking in terms of, minor things to to move the needle um what other minor things do you think we need to move the needle just to make sure that the car counts are good this year you know i don't know necessarily when it comes down to the car count side that there's minor things we've had a you know we've had a lot of a lot of changes that have taken place in the sport of drag racing not just not just in NHRA, but within other racing organizations that have, you know, they've taken their opportunities of their sanctioning bodies. When you take when you take solid people like the Franklin family and Tyler Crossno and the BDRA side, and they've implemented classes and markets to pay out and provide a place for racers and business owners and and enthusiasts of 
of competition to take manufacturers' products and push them to the ragged edge every time they pull up to the starting line. That's that's something that right now we're we're kind of struggling with. We're a little behind on the NHRA side because we've gotten to the point where with whether you want to label it because of payouts, whether you want to label it because of the 610 rule, whether you want to label it uh, because of the quotas, um, the rotation of events, the markets. I, I mean, I've heard numerous and multiple different perspectives on where the changes have to come. It doesn't matter now to look back and say, okay, well, we lost here, we lost here, we lost here. Now it's the fact of, okay, that's behind us. We've got to figure out how to get back involved and put our sport, our classes, and it's not just top sportsmen and top dragster. I, I mean, when you look at it, it's across the board that, you know, you've got super comp guys and racers that are out there right now trying to go 200 miles an hour on a throttle stop. <laughs> you have super gas cars that are trying to go 180 on a throttle stop. You have stock and super stock guys that are always pushing the envelope to try to be the fastest in their category within a rules package. It's, I, I mean, it's never easy, right? Those classes have a target that is a evolution that's always improving. Their manufacturers are always trying to figure out how to go faster, quicker, more reliable, dependability, and put their mark on the school board and say, hey, we were involved with that project. They just hit that mark. How outstanding is that? When it comes to top dragster and top sportsmen, our 610 window. That put a lot of companies at that level, put them in a box that says, okay, we don't have to work any harder right now because we can't go any faster. We don't have to work on converter design. We don't have to work on transmission design. We don't have to create a better mousetrap when it comes to piston and rod and valve train package. They need to last longer because we're spraying more and more nitrous than ever before because we can only go so fast. And a lot of racers said, well, we're going to go over here where we can continue to chase something on speed or pride or ego or the thrill of competition. That is where right now we're struggling. And we've got to find it. We've got to figure it out. And get back to it. Uh, I mean, Top Sports from Top Dragster was grown in the South in the IHRA days. I'm a product of it. I, Darlington, Rockingham, Bristol, those those racetracks in Norwalk at the World Nationals, they grew, and that's where the best of the best showed up to rock out. And right now, we don't have that. We have car counts that are dwindling. They're struggling. Uh, the people are not coming to race for 15 and 18 or $2,000. Uh, 
against cars that are really just upper end super cop cars or super dash cars right that can run 770s or 790s and there's just we're not pushing the sport which means our manufacturers and our contingency programs are struggling because they're not selling anything so what's the what's the what's the buy-in for them to go and spend and invest money and we've got to We've got to save ourselves from ourselves, if you will. Yeah, so let me ask you this then. No, I think that's well well stated. But let me ask you this then. So if if the NHRA said, hey, Don, Rex, you guys, uh, you know, have the, the magic marker, write, write the rule package, would you be in favor of just getting rid of the 610 or would you at least cut it back to 1,000 foot to do the same thing? Kind of because we talked last week with Steve Kastner about uh, potentially moving it to thousand foot and letting people rip again. How's that sound to you? Okay, so here's here's where it is. I think for me. Okay, so obviously NHRA, Wally Parks, everything was a you know quarter mile, and for the betterment of the sport. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that we have to apply some business logic to it? If the if the 6-0 situation for SFI certifications comes down to some additional chassis or safety regulations, does that mean racers are willing to go out and invest that so that they can go back to the 6-0 part? Possibly. But I'd also challenge that and say, okay, does that mean, with that being said, are we going to get some financial support in the payouts and the purses on the payback? Because with everything that comes in an investment of improvement, there has to be the same that comes back to you. So that being said, if those answers are, well, no, well then maybe a thousand foot is the answer. But again, I don't, I don't think we're going to gain back the people that are running eight mile that have invested in their combinations to go run eight mile for three and four thousand dollar, you know, payouts. I don't know that we're going to gain them back, even on a situation where they have to change converters, rear gears, tune ups to bounce back and forth between two series. I think that also becomes a little bit of a challenge. And there has to be an incentive there to do that. So, you know, do I have a magic marker to answer all of them? Absolutely not. Because every time you answer one, it creates another flowchart of questions that have to be answered on how we're going to move forward. And ultimately, everything involves financial it's going to involve manufacturer support. It's going to involve racer support. But most importantly, it's going to involve sanctioning body support between whomever it is that we try to work with, whether it's PDRA, NHRA alone, Midwest ProMod, wherever the case may be. We have to, as a sport, work together because the manufacturers need us to work together 
We need the fans, the enthusiasts. We need them to come in. We need to do things that entice them to be part of our sport to grow, to have grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and whomever it may be, significant others, to come out, be part of our sport so that we can grow and continue to have this for the next generation. That's, I mean, in the end all of end all, that's kind of where it goes. Companies cannot cannot have businesses. Engine builders can't build engines if we're not pushing them to blow them up. If you build a builder mousetrap, we can't do it, and they can't do it. So uh, it's, it's a lot of moving pieces of it that have to be looked at with eyes, eyes wide open and not a narrow-minded thought process or focal point or perspective yeah i'm I'm with you no easy answers right i mean that's the other thing is uh there's no real easy answers here but they do kind of need to be resolved at some point because i don't feel like well the pdra has proven their model works i think at this point now um the nhra may need just to take a step back and and make sure their model is is the correct one moving forward um certainly you know uh i mean that's not an easy decision or anything like that but pdra has proved that their model works and that's outstanding i think for the sport so we'll see i guess how this all shakes out but uh you know for you it's uh stay on the road keep moving get your stuff together um you know work real hard and try to try to qualify for the jeg series and, um, you know, start 2022 off with a bang, right? We got to start off way better than we started 21. That's <laughs> yeah, sure. no doubt, brother. No uh, doubt. But, uh, but no, absolutely. And uh, appreciate you having us on and, and looking forward to uh, getting back out the racetrack and doing a podcast with Cam and, and pushing forward uh, in this great sport that I am uh, fortunate enough to work in. Yeah, I appreciate coming on. I know you're still doing uh, the podcast, which is Racers in Rental Cars. Where else can uh, our listeners um, get at you if they want to hear more or uh, just bend your ear a little bit? My inbox is always open for IMs and text messages and so forth. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cam and I are trying to – Keep our schedule straight for the Races of Rental Cars podcast every uh, every week. And, of course, you can catch that anywhere that they catch the Fast fast Brackets podcast as well. And, you know, we just uh, appreciate anybody that listens, and I always appreciate uh, you being a cheerleader for our sport as well, Rex, and, and that team at AFCO for being well. So, uh, God, I wish everybody a great uh, 2022. And, don't hesitate to holler. Yeah, thanks for coming on, brother. Good luck at the, you know, go get them this year. And appreciate you coming on. Uh, always um, am uh, excited to hear your thoughts and, and really appreciate you breaking that that one piece down that kind of got everybody sideways for a minute. So, uh, guys, girls, that was the great Don O'Neill if you need him. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. For all your high-horsepower legal needs, get with Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. 
Guys, girls, it is now practice tree season. Well, we talked about uh, this upcoming practice tree race, the 11th annual Pat Rogers practice tree race presented by Team Live On coming up this weekend. Check the Facebook page for all the vital stats on that event coming up this weekend. It's a really a great chance to hone your skills. It's for a good cause, and you will have a great time. So those are three great things. If you have an opportunity, do that this weekend um, in central Illinois. It looks like it's good weather and all that stuff. So go ahead and get out and do that. Um, also, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about practice tree season in our next segment. So let's get right to that with our next guest. Whoa, let's get out of the groove just a little bit and bring on our next guest. He is uh, has a historic bracket racing career. He is the only person that has ever won a bracket finals and a stock eliminator world championship in the same year. He is a multi-time IHRA world champ. He is an accomplished promoter for loose rocker uh, events, and he's the owner and operator of Staging Light Graphics. Please welcome to the show, Michael Beard. Michael, how are you today, my man? I'm great. How are you, Rex? I am good, but I don't have nearly the trophy case you do, so it doesn't, I, I don't feel as good as you do. How about that? Well, it, it's okay because I don't have, let's see, one. I've got like three or four trophies on display. Most of them are in storage, so I don't even get to look at them. And I've got, I've got this thing that I call Coroplast Corner where I've got all the, the big plastic checks just kind of standing up sure. on the side there. And <laughs> the guys in the Corona Lockdown Online Practice Tree League, they were picking on me because I, I'm sponsoring their deal this year and I'm making the big checks for their points champions and their their points runoff finale right and uh i won the points championship and i won the finale runoff and they're like you got to make your own big checks <laughs> like, yeah my my wife is not going to be happy with that and she's like, you're not actually going to make them are you i'm like well what else is going to hold that wall up over there That's he's a- like if the drywall and the two by fours can't do it we got a problem <laughs> Now they need help, Michael. They definitely need help, and uh, I I say do it. I mean, you know, they've they've asked you to do that. Make the check, and uh, and I guess the fact that you won that practice tree league uh, is no surprise. Why you've been, you know, had such an illustrious career on the bracket racing side. I mean, if if you do that, that that <laughs> no, is it really was a helpful. Big surprise. <laughs> it was a big surprise because one, the league is obscenely competitive. It is where all hope goes to die. It is it is the home of the bad beats. It is insane. You, you really ought to check it out sometime. Because it, even if you get trounced from week to week, which you will because all of us do, I don't even know how anyone wins on any given night. <laughs> like, just to give you an idea, in the, the bottom ball class, which is uh, the one that I won this year, my season average was 007. Off the bottom. It's amazing. That's amazing. And that that was good for a win and two runner-ups in the regular season in 20 races. 
<laughs> I, I literally lost count of how many first and second round losses I had. And um, I, I think it was like, well, wait, there's the thing I want to do. Like, I think seven or eight first round losses. Like, I don't know how I got any points at all. <laughs> like, I had three or four good days and a bunch of really horrible days and won the championship by less than a point on the last day which was incredibly lucky. And the finale went about the same way. I don't think there was another path to victory beyond what actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like there were much more deserving people out there without question. Uh, Big shout out to Ricky bear in particular, because he missed the first two points races of the year. So he absolutely would have won the championship. He deserved it. And he, he earned it. But, uh, But, but it's a good time. And it makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. Even even if you don't win a race the whole time, I guarantee you by the end of a Corona season, you'll be better than you started. Yeah, that's the whole and thing, it's a right? Family. Yep. It's a family, and it it keeps you busy in the off season. And uh, yeah, we'll 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 come back to the, the Corona League in a little bit. I, you'll see where I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, and you know, that's, that's the thing. Like, uh, drag racing is a humbling sport, right? You can be really, really good. Um, but, but all you got to be in drag racing is perfect. And then you got to get lucky. That's all you got to do to be good in this sport, right? Is, uh, you know, just be, um, one thousandth of a second better than everybody else. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Well, in, 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 in bracket racing, I've often said that a, a perfect run, you probably screwed up because you took too much right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Unless There's, the other guys double O pack beside you. <laughs> that's it. Really, that's a perfect exactly run right. is a happy accident. Yes, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, we, we've all been there. We've all went, oh, I screwed that up, but it worked out. And, you know, thank goodness. And then sometimes you do it exactly the way you wanted to do it and then you go man i was a thousand on the wrong side of that and it's that's heartbreaking as well but uh you know it is it is practice tree season you know right now which is which is good but i also know that you're staying very busy with with staging light graphics uh tell us what you're doing um with staging light and you know how busy that's keeping you right now in the middle of january uh winter used to be kind of the off season, but uh, tracks and promoters are doing a much, much better job being out in front on things. And what staging like graphics are, what I'm primarily doing is event flyers and big checks, run stickers for not only loose rocker promotions and our seven big money bracket races that we put on, but I do them for a lot of other promoters as well, including uh, World Foot Break Challenge and their Labor Day 250K uh, Galen Rollison himself pretty much keeps me busy. Um, he promotes the King of the Coast series mm-hmm. down in Gulfport, and that series has been expanding with some offshoots. He's he's got some standalone events outside of the King of Coast King of the Coast series that he does, uh, and he has also partnered up a couple years ago with Britt Cummings. You've had to have seen the sure Great American Bracket Race. So the Great American Bracket Race expanded to the Guaranteed Million. Uh, they, they've got some other megabuck-style races coming up this year. They've expanded to to some smaller, more affordable, but 
still big paying events, tens and twenties. Uh, they just came off of their great American stars and stripes. That was kind of their new year's event. Uh, had some weather challenges, but, uh, in outdoor promotions, you're going to have that. And what makes a promoter is how you deal with issues like that. And from all accounts, looks like they did a phenomenal job. Uh, I think they were 40 degree temps much of the day and might've dipped into the high thirties in the night and real windy. So brutally tough conditions and heard nothing but good things. And it, they got that race in, but, uh, uh, Kentucky dragway started working with Aaron Sipple last year mm-hmm. and they basically want me to do all of their major event flyers so we did a bunch of them last year so we've got some uh in the bank so to speak where for this coming year we may just have to change out a couple pictures and little detail things but the the main parts of the the flyers are done and then he's already starting to throw at me ones that we didn't get to last year so, yeah, lots and lots coming down the pike there. Uh, Coastal Plains Dragway. Um, Charles Myers has taken over the marketing and, I believe, a management position at Coastal Plains. Uh, he was a young guy that had come in from junior dragster, had moved up to stock eliminator when I first met him, when I lived in North Carolina years ago. So from juniors to stock, to moving to the West Coast, had worked for NHRA, had, had worked for NHRA facilities on the West Coast, and has now moved back home to be closer to his dad and now working at Coastal Plains. Mm. So we got to work together and just did their St. Patrick's flyer for them. And uh, matter of fact, we just talked this morning uh, about doing some track signage. So Uh-oh. lots and lots of things in the works. Yeah, I mean that that is a, that's a good sign, right? That promoters and track operators are being um, they're they're being a little uh, more ahead of the curve in terms of getting that stuff out. And I think with the advent of maybe Facebook and the fact that so many people are going to that in order to see what events they want to go to, that's prob that probably is moving the schedule up for when those things need to be done and when people put those on their calendars and. So yeah, that sounds uh that sounds like although it feels like the off season to a lot of racers, you're probably right in the mix right now. Absolutely. And again, everything has moved up. Years ago I'd started what I call the master schedule. Yeah. Uh, where I, I put together a list of all of the NHRA national and divisional events, bracket finals, PDRA events, NMCA, MNRA and MRA. That one's always tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, big money bracket races, basically anything five grand and up in that range. And I started that kind of for my own use, so I could because I was still class racing back then. So, okay, I'm going to chart out my schedule. Where am I going? I'm mm-hmm. like, I've already done the work. I may as well make it public <laughs> so other people can use it. Tracks can try to not schedule on top of each other. Promoters likewise, and it's kind of become a thing every year where really it used to have most of the the listings added in like January and February. Nowadays, the master schedule for the following year usually starts around August. Oh, wow. Uh, like 
we actually had our loose rocker schedule basically lined out in August. You know, it was a while before we made it public, but I already had had listings on that that master schedule. And today, let's see. So we're in the middle of January, and my spreadsheet has over 280 entries. Oh wow! For big That's money awesome. bracket races, big class races, again national and divisional events. It's unreal. Yeah, I think that I think the health of the sport is in good shape, right? I mean, it feels like the sport is healthy from that standpoint. I mean, there's uh, and and you probably do as good job as anybody is having that master schedule, so you can tell when it's um, full or getting thinner for whatever reason. And it feels like to me that that we're we're in a really healthy position for the sport itself in terms of all the events that a race car driver can go uh, compete in. People have options. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And again, um, my master schedule has this particular focus. But I think people have kind of picked up on that. I think somebody has kind of a street slash no prep kind of master schedule thing. I, I don't okay. follow that end of things. But I'm pretty sure somebody has, has started that kind of thing for that end of the sport as well. It's probably worth doing. And again, it just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, know that, and yeah, not only for racers to plan what they're doing, but tracks and promoters to work together because it helps all of us. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on there. I think I think that is the thing is we do do have to work together, and it sounds like um, all all the promoters are in general terms at least trying to do their best not to step on each other's toes because there are you know. Uh, only X amount of racers out there. I'm curious, have any plan? Does Loose Rocker have any plans to do any no prep events? Nope. <laughs> I knew the answer. We, I we knew did. the answer. But. <laughs> I, I know that you did. Uh, we, no, we do big money bracket racing. And now we do have a little something for everybody in the big money bracket racing world. Anything from 10Ks all the way up to 75k uh we do races specifically for foot brake we do them for door car only box cars although we do have a, a good number of foot brake or no box guys that'll that'll come play with the door cars as well mm -hmm. and then we've got a couple races for all of top et or super pro so two of these two of these two of these one extra then in there somewhere so right <laughs> Right. In seven races. We, we've ended up with everything at, at Piedmont Dragway. They've been an outstanding partner, and they basically feel like family. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's more than just a, a business relationship. And uh, some young owners there, and they're in it for the long haul. They've been constantly making improvements. Uh, they've just done a phenomenal job, and they're very easy to work with and very accommodating. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're you're going to see some big, big things from Piedmont. Uh, I mean, as soon as they came in, first thing you do, throw some paint around, you know, make the place look nice. And mm -hmm. they're updating that from year to year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember them putting up a new American flag at one of our events. Like, you know what? We just want it to look nicer. Yeah. That's impressive. You know, they, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the biggest, improvements that they did last year that 
that was at our request. We, we've seen this at a couple of tracks. I don't know if you've run across it yet. Have you seen the, the tracks with the, the lighted tree blinders? So yeah, there's actually yeah. a, a, an LED strip in the blinder of a tree, and, and there's some tracks out there that don't have blinders at all. So if you've got a completely open tree, there's nothing to amount to. <laughs> sure. But the tracks that that have a, a divider, a blinder that comes out to, to separate the, the left side and right side of the tree, mm-hmm. uh, just an LED strip and a C-channel on there, and we actually have them on all night. I've, I've seen them at Virginia Motorsports Park, uh, Summit Motorsports Park in Norwalk, uh, even Muncie Dragway in Indiana. It lights the tree up really nice at night. So you can you can see the individual LEDs in that bulb, just like you can in the daytime. Yeah. And it makes such a world of difference. Because quite honestly, for many years, that left lane at Piedmont was a dark hole because there was so many big bright lights on top of the tower that it cast a shadow with that blinder onto the left lane oh. and it, it just made that left side dark uh it not only added the led lights in the blinder but also added some additional big lighting on the building on the left side of the track so mm-hmm. it is beautiful and I, I told him i said this isn't just for your bracket racers use it all the time yeah. everybody's going to appreciate it mm-hmm and those are the type of things that I think are great as a promoter that you can you can notice and appreciate and then you know pass that on to to maybe other tracks as well saying hey this is working well at that track um, and and so I, I appreciate you know your your commentary on that and and just kind of uh, you know highlighting that group as well for for their efforts out there the other um, thing I I thought was really interesting and and you see this as a promoter and some of us I think don't see it quite as well and I struggle to see it sometimes myself but as a promoter you see um, what and we had an interesting conversation about this at PRI about the younger generation in the sport and you know I think there is this thought that it's mostly older dudes that are are doing this and I don't I don't think that's entirely accurate at all do you? Uh, the way that you put it, mostly older dudes, yes. <laughs> okay. But you know what? It's always been that way. I, I don't think it's realistic to think that there is, could, or should be 75% of the participants or staff on, on anything in our sport being under 30. Yeah. But the thing that... that People look at that and think that that's a problem. But when I was a kid running the high school class at Beaver Springs Dragway in central Pennsylvania, people like, oh, there's no new blood in our sport. But they've been saying that every year for 30 years. Now, there may not be thousands of new faces every single year, but there's a couple of new faces every year at every track in every kind of series. And those couple, when they keep up with the sport, they become the old guys. I'm, I'm the old guy now. Of course, right, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right. You know, but we we talked about it earlier with uh, Charles Myers. Yeah, he started out in junior dragster, went to stock eliminator, went to work within a sanctioning body and a racetrack, 
and now another racetrack in, in a higher position. So that ladder climbing is how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, mentioned earlier as well, the Corona Lockdown Online Practice Tree League. Yeah. We're just taking a video of ourselves on a cell phone letting go on a practice tree. How interesting do you think that is to kids? <laughs> right. Hey, I, I, I love that. You, you almost need the meme. We have a particular set of skills. Yes, you know? exactly. We see a light come on and we let go of a button. Like, <laughs> right. How engaging is this? The Corona League has not only a top ball but a bottom ball class, but they also have not one but two junior classes. They've got a class for 11 to 16 and 10 and under. Ah. Just like you, you would with junior dragsters. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not even going to tell you up front. I want you to tell me. Because a lot of people probably never even heard of the, the Corona League. How many participants do we have among juniors in the Corona League? Oh, man. Um, I've I've heard of the Corona League, but I haven't done any type of research. So, I, I don't know, a couple, a couple dozen, maybe? I mean, is there two dozen? Kids that are doing that per per class. There were twenty different participants in the eleven to sixteen class, and there were twenty six in the ten and under. Twenty six in ten and under. That's That's awesome. Forty six kids. Forty six kids letting go on a practice tree in the middle of winter. (laughs) Right. Right. We're not even talking about racing. Which you get to do burnouts and stage a car and uh-huh. drive the finish line and go down a racetrack, which is fun and interesting. Yep. These kids are ate up even on the practice tree level. And we, we've had kids like Nathan Mendenhall. He'd actually moved from the junior class in Coronas. Now, now he runs bottom bulb and top bulb. Uh, Andrew Davis is is still on that under 30 crowd. I'm quite certain he's a second generation racer, uh, still foot breaking and also doing some top ball racing. And he's also a graphic designer in the motorsports realm. Oh, right up uh, your alley. Can't. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. When I'm too busy, go see Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Cameron Welch. I think he's only made one or two passes down the drag strip in his dad's car. His dad, Austin Welch, is a former bracket finals champ, many-time track champ, and someone that has also done some race promotion and even handled some of the management responsibilities at Roxborough Dragway off and on over the years. Mm -hmm. So Cameron Welch, he's another one that is starting out early, and he's going to be that old guy 30, 40 years from now. Right. Uh, Stevie Dustin. We call him the Sidewinder because of his ridiculous release off of a a button. (laughs) Uh, Stevie Dustin is 20 years old. Uh, Last weekend, not this past weekend, week before, there was a a physical practice tree race. Uh, Derby City practice tree race uh, just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Stevie Dustin won a mullis dragster at a practice tree race it's amazing 20 years old yeah i mean that's it, yeah, that's real are, the kids are out there the kids are not only out there they're good yeah they're ridiculously good yeah uh i mean look at the guys that are top of the charts these days 
your Hunter Pattons, your Gage Birch. Uh, Gage Birch destroyed people in juniors <laughs> for years and years and years, and he gets in a big car and is instantly, you know, a top 10, top 25 mm-hmm. in the world. Right, yeah. Uh, quickly. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that the youth is not only out there, but they're coming for us. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. And I think that's that's really a good thing, right? Like, A, it keeps us on our toes, right? It makes us better. Iron sharpens iron. And then uh, and then we've got this next crew, so it, it makes the sport healthy. So I think it's great. Um, and you, you made a good point at one point about um, – about go walk just walk into your lanes and in the staging lanes at one of your events and and uh, I can't remember exactly how you put it but uh, but you you remember that conversation about how when yeah, you walk like through lanes there was a daycare. <laughs> that's exactly right like it it was it was first round of the fall foot break frenzy seven at Piedmont Dragway first round of eliminations. Lanes one and two, I think there might have been two guys that were not under 30. Like the first pair in the lanes, they were 16 and 17 years old. I love it. Now, I mean, granted, I... some of them have have a more full beard or goatee than, than I'll ever have. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fun looking back through that. Let's see, that was, that was 2015. Okay. And just glancing down through there, uh, some of these kids aren't kids they have kids themselves now they're going to be bringing up the next generation mm-hmm. like i'm just glancing through here and seeing a couple guys that are now married again uh having kids uh, my favorite picture out of this whole bunch and i showed some folks at pri i said who's this guy they're like that's dallas glenn Right. Dallas Glenn was the NHRA Pro Stock Rookie of the Year last year. And he was knocking heads. Actually, Loose Rocker isn't even where Dallas Glenn became famous. He, he was a badass class racer and, yeah. and bracket racer on the West Coast. So, yeah, there's, there's guys coming into the sport that you don't know where they'll go. Sky's the limit. Right. Yeah. And I just, I thought that was so important. Um, you know, just to kind of, I don't know, um, think through the thought process that the sport is really healthy and it's got a great group of young drivers coming up that, um, are either coming after us old guys or, um, you know, will, will, um, you know, be the face of the sport here really soon. And I, and I thought, th- I think that's a great thing. I really do. And, uh, but you know, as we kind of commiserate, sometimes we talk about, you know, what, what's going to happen to the, to the state of the sport. And, um, I, I thought it was such a valid point that you brought up. I, I could not let it pass. So I, I'm glad yeah, you and, came on. And I, I'm seeing a, a lot of faces in this old 2015 gallery that are not only, married and having kids now that are going to be brought into the sport. Mm-hmm. But I also see a lot of people that are business owners yeah. in the motorsports industry or tied to motorsports industry, golf cart sales, trailer manufacturing, wiring businesses. Uh, Bubba Black runs the uh, heads up the torque converter section at, at 
of Ruzi racing transmissions and converters. You know, you know, we already talked about Dallas Glenn. You know, he, he worked his way sure. all the way up. Shoot, he still works on the Pro Stockers. He may drive them, but uh, he's still got his hands in them, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and, it, it's not just bracket racing. It's not just getting people into driving. But, again, they're coming up and getting involved in the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernie Humes, one of the most versatile guys, top ball, bottom ball. He's won 40K with us off the top and 40K with us off the bottom. Uh, working in A1 Mobile Marine, but they also have a slot car track. Oh, okay. So slot, slot cars is yet another gateway of getting people involved in the sport. Yep. Uh, when you and I were <clears throat> younger kids, <laughs> we had Burnout. Burnout Player's Choice Edition. Yes. The HRA drag racing game. We, we, had, we had PC games. Mm-hmm. Today, you've got mobile games, like Door Slammers 2.0. Right. You can bracket race on there. You can index race on there. You can heads up race on there. You know, the kids are ate up with it, because what is drag racing? It's a big video game. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think it, it helps. It helps the whole thing when there's video games like that, and it it does. It uh, it helps the whole industry and the whole sport that way. So yeah, I I, I um we had that good conversation. I thought it was very valid. Um, the po- all the points you brought up and you reiterated with them, you know, with us today. And uh, I'm I'm just makes me more and more excited about the sport than ever before, is what it does. And, and notice that we've talked almost exclusively about racket racing, but as we talked about it at the that PRI seminar with track operators and promoters, uh, their big concern: how do we get the youth? I said, how do we get the youth for for what exactly? Because mm-hmm. the under thirty. It's just a demographic, but there's, we just talked about bracket racing for 20 minutes. There's also, and, and bracket racing itself has a ton of different segments to it with junior dragster, sure, junior street, the team championship racing. You can go, you can get into trophy classes or, or street legal classes. You know, you just want to test and tune. That's fine. There's heads up racing, whether it's, first of the finish line stuff, whether it's prep, no prep, there's index heads up racing. Uh, and as they, they brought up in the seminar, there's lifestyle events. You know, right. not every kid needs to get into this sport and go big money bracket racing right. or stock super stock racing. If they come as a spectator or a participant in a lifestyle event, if they do what they call DB drag racing, I don't know if that's still a thing, Again, it's not my field, but if there's people that are interested in in hopping up their their Civic and and making killer sound systems, cool. Right. I got right. no problem with that at all. Come on in because that's just another corollary. That's something that's still part of the industry as a whole. Now you, you'll see more of that sort of thing. That that may be more of a SEMA crowd than a PRI crowd. Sure. But there, it's still automotive, motorsports. It's still within our wheelhouse as a whole. Drifting. Yeah. I don't know anything about drifting. But you know what? 
there's a bunch of young kids that are into it. Right. And then there, and then there's just straight up spectators. Maybe, maybe they're not a participant and not looking to become a participant, but there are people that will watch drifting. They'll watch heads up racing. They'll, they'll go to lifestyle events. There's a little something for everybody. Like it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. And, and something I, I thought of earlier, um, are your kids into basketball? Of course. What kind of basketball? What do you mean? What kind of basketball? It's just basketball. Right. Well, you, you into football? What kind of football? Well, let's see. There, there might be flag football and football. Are, are you into drag racing? What kind of drag racing? Mm-hmm. Are you into bracket racing? You know, we just listed a dozen different things. You know, you really got to take the 30,000 foot view with motorsports and drag racing. Yeah. Bracket racing. Every single one of these. It, it kind of reminds me of Adger Smith. He's an engine builder from Texarkana that I, I drove a super stocker for. And he explained to me as he had pieces strewn about on the, the garage floor, how do you make a super stocker? You take every piece of the car, break it down to its component part, and say, how do I make that piece better? Mm-hmm. And that's how we've got to look at this sport. You know, I'm focused on big money bracket racing, but there's a dozen other segments that other tracks and promoters and participants and industry people that can service those areas that they can concentrate on. It is so wide open. It's not funny. Yeah. Could not agree more. And, uh, the listeners, longtime listeners of this show will, uh, remember me talking about fragmentation in the sport and, and how, you know, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, but, uh, you, you make an excellent point and the fact that, you know, you, you have your highlighted, uh, younger generation is really great. So keep doing what you're doing with loose rocker. Uh, good luck with your own personal racing this summer. And then, um, you know, if you're out there, if our listeners are out there and they need graphic works, get with Michael Beard and staging light graphics um, to get all your, you know, high quality graphic stuff done. Because I know Michael to be a very detailed guy and, um, you know, uh, appreciate you coming on here today. Well, I very much appreciate the opportunity and I think it was a great conversation. And uh, I think I probably came up with some ideas myself while talking through it. And that's really what we need to do. But uh, if, if people are looking for those places to race on the big money bracket race end of things, uh, or you need that class racer schedule, again, go to looserocker.com and just click on master schedule and you'll see what's going on out there. Pick and choose, find the events that are right for you and let's go play. I love it. Thanks so much, Michael, for coming on and, um, yeah, go to, go to looserocker.com and check all that out. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, I just wanted to remind everyone that for this very first part of the year, we are on an abbreviated schedule. So we're about twice a month here for the first quarter of the year um, and not every week like we do in the, the heart of the season. 
And, and I know, I know that racing is starting up in the South pretty quickly here, but I live in the Midwest and it's still pretty cold outside. Uh, so this is my silent protest. Uh, we'll get into a heavier rotation once the season uh, gets in full swing and it's nice out for everyone. Uh, but as of right now, we're on in a little bit abbreviated schedule uh, twice a month for the first quarter of 2022. Hang in there with us. Appreciate you listening. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 92. There it is. There is the wind light. Man, and some massive Van Halen. Yes, yes. Producer Chris getting it done. Giving us a little jump. Uh, maybe a little motivation to keep our New Year's resolutions going. That's it. Jump. Love that. Uh, man, so good. Um, we had another great week on the episode here. We had, uh, man, great guests on. Don O'Neill, he got us caught up and clarified some things uh, that were going out there in the world. Uh, always appreciate Don coming on. And then we had Michael Beard from Loose Rocker Promotions and Staging Light Graphics came on and educated us on the young guns of the sport. Uh, so great to have both of them on. Guys, girls, if you have comments, questions, or curse words from me, you know there are three ways to get at me. You can find me on Facebook using the Messenger. Uh, you can probably track me down in my gym, getting my workouts in so that I can look buff for this summer. And you can use the email, fastbrackets at outlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
Hey, Rex. Uh, yeah, that was a great show today, and I'm thinking ahead to 2022. Kind of like Don said, you know, you got to jump in with both feet. Um, so it seemed like the right kind of song. Just might as well jump. How about that? I love it. I love it. I mean, if nothing else, um, man, a little Van Halen get you pumped up. I mean, and, and we've got you on witness protection. So if anybody is really upset about not hearing Gloria, you're safe, if nothing else, from that standpoint. That's good to know. Uh, but we've got a couple other uh, songs come down the line that I think will make, uh, you know, fit right in. Um, with the show and and what all we're going to do in This episode was brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal. Deliver high-quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products.